Thanks, Mike. Happy Father's Day. Um, all right. Well, welcome to church. That was a little bit of a risque reading. It's poetry, so it's not uh, pornographic, but it is pretty clear what it's talking about, isn't it? And uh, uh, welcome to church. My name's Toby. We are starting a new series in a book of the Bible called The Song of Songs. And, uh, and the Song of Songs, it's the greatest song that was ever written. If I say I'm going to have the steak of all steaks tonight, uh, you know I'm about to have the greatest steak in the world, right? And that's what the Song of Songs means. This is the greatest song ever written, and it's a song of love. Uh, many of the greatest songs in the world today are about love, and that's what this song is about. It's written Many people think by King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, uh, one of the kings of Israel. He wrote a thousand and three songs in his lifetime. But if he wrote this song, then uh, this is the greatest of the songs he wrote about. And it's a song of love. Uh, and that's why it's awkward at bits, uh, because the man and a woman are delighting in one another. And they talk about sex quite a lot. But it's not pornographic. It's there's a lot of metaphor, so which makes it easy to read this book with my kids. It's like Toy Story or uh, a Pixar movie. You know, there's euphemistic stuff going on, but the, it just goes over the heads of the kids. And um, so it's a great book, but it's actually not a book about sex. It's a book about intimacy between a man and a woman who have committed to one another for life. And in this room, in our society, uh, we do ache for this kind of intimacy that's described here. But for that reason, as we come to this topic, there, um, we need to be aware of the needs of each other because some of us aren't even sure why we're here. I mean, uh, we're not married, we'd love to be married, and what, I'm really going to spend the next four Sundays listening to a part of the Bible which rejoices in the joy of marriage, and that's what I want, but I don't have it, really. There are others of us who are married, and we're struggling in our marriages. You know, someone once said that marriage is like a besieged city. Those on the outside want in, and those on the inside want out. <laughs> and uh, there are some of us who have very difficult marriages here. You might be here. For others of us, we've recently separated and that's incredibly painful, or we've been separated a long time, and it doesn't sound like a beneficial thing for some of us to spend the next four weeks thinking about this topic. And as a result, some of you have been even questioning whether you'd come along today, and you've been very cautious, and you've, you have come along, and, um, and it's hard. So I just want to recognize that as we start. But here's my approach. Uh, this series, it's not uh, sex and dating tips from Pastor Toby. That's not what we're doing. What we have a habit of doing as a church is just opening parts of the Bible and working our way through it. And it just so happens we're working our way through a book of the Bible, the Song of Songs. And like we always do, we're going to try and work out what is God telling us here about life, the world, ourselves, and himself. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, as we do that, wherever you come to in the Bible, the question is, will you trust what God has to say? That what he's said here, it's not just written for some people, it's written for all people, and that his intention is to encourage you, that it is to comfort you, that it is to bring health and healing 
And it's meant to lift you up and guide you, even if you don't have what this is talking about. So that's my conviction, and I want to thank those who've been wrestling with whether to come, because this is a painful area of your life. It's great that you're here, and I do think there'll be things here which will benefit you. Okay, as I've thought about this song, um, the song of songs, it's a song. It's meant to be sung, though we, no one is going to sing it. But um, unlike most modern songs, which are just short songs, this is an eight-chapter-long song, and it has different themes as it goes through. And so I was trying to work out what modern song is this song a little bit like. So we're going to play a game called Name That Song. And I found the most intimate chocolate I could find, some cherry ripes. <laughs> and, um, and I'm going to give you a prize. If you guess the art, if you shout out the artist and the name of the song, you will get a cherry ripe. And, um, and each one of these songs I'm about to play has some kind of link to the Song of Songs, which I'm going to explain to you in a second. So are you ready to play a game? Who wants a cherry ripe? Josh wants one. He can have one. All right. So, all right, let's go. First song, artist, and the name of the song. Suchara, too quick. All right, it is, it is Beyonce. Uh, all the single ladies. So, oh, there it is. Um, now, why have I chosen this song? Uh, it's because the Song of Songs, it's actually written to the single ladies of Jerusalem. And this is, um, the main speaker in this song is a girl, and she keeps saying to all the single ladies of Jerusalem, don't arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, don't stir up the flames of desire until he's put the ring on your finger. So the first song the Song of Songs is like is Beyonce. Uh, second song, and this will appeal to those who are a little bit older in the room, looking down here. Come on, guys, your chance to get a cherry ripe. Okay, here we go. John Denver, do you know the song's name? Annie's song, very good. Now, this is the greatest love song ever written. <laughs> uh, I grew up listening to John Denver, so this is my favourite love song. And uh, I remember listening to this when I was 14. I'd never been in love but I wanted to be in love because this song just made you feel what it's like to be in love. And he speaks about things in this song, you fill up my senses like a night in the forest. Really similar language to the Song of Songs. So there's song number two. Song number three, it's a little bit cryptic. And uh, if you don't know the artist, tell me the movie it's from. Cool? Did someone say Juno? No? Uh, Josh, two cherry ripes. Share one with your wife, okay? But um, yeah, this is the song from the end of Juno. Juno, for the, it's a love story between these two teenagers that they fall pregnant, they work out, are they going to have the baby? Uh, they fall out of love. But by the end of the movie, they keep the baby, they stay in love, and this is the last scene. It's beautiful. They sit on their front fence, each with a guitar, serenading one another and they take verse and verse and they take it in turn singing to one another it's a duet and that's the song of songs as well you have a male voice a female voice and they just keep singing to one another I love duets They're my f I love them and uh and that's what the song of songs is like it's like 
Michael Sarah and Elliot Page sing to one another. All right, final song uh, is. No one? Hey? Yes. Well done, Shane. Oh, sorry. My arm is not so good. Ray, I can't pronounce his last name. How do you say his last name? Ray, I don't know how to say it. Anyway, you are the best thing. And I finish with this one because in the chorus of this song, he's just telling his lover, you're the best thing. And that's what I want to talk about today. That's why I've called this sermon, you are the best thing. Because today... The song starts with words, and we want to look at how words, the language, are the language of intimacy. Intimacy is built as people communicate love, desire, affection for one another. Uh, you know that your words play an, a powerful, have a powerful, uh, incredibly powerful in our lives. If you have someone say to you, you're special, I love you. You're beautiful. Those words are profoundly healing. If you've had someone say, I'm sick of you, I never want to see you again, words like that are terribly hurtful. Our words have tremendous power. They build up or they break down. I remember when I was um, in primary school, I wasn't good at school. I felt like my teachers were indifferent to me. I really struggled at school. But I remember one time my mum went to a parent-teacher night and uh, she came back and she said, your teacher, Mrs. Singleton, and I'm like, oh no, here we go. But she's like, your teacher, Mrs. Singleton, says you have the most beautiful brown eyes she's ever seen. <laughs> and she just kept saying that year after year, my teacher. That's all I got back from parent-teacher interviews. <laughs> your eyes are nice. But I'm a 42-year-old male and those words still are deep inside my heart. They're still encouraging. And I'm a 42-year-old male and I haven't got past some words that were spoken to me when I was eight years of age. Words have a profound effect on our lives. And this song really... Uh, the main feature of the song is this boy and this girl talking to one another, speaking to one another. And the words that they speak have a powerful impact on their relationship. I want to look at three things today, three questions which this so song answers. The first is, what could make an ordinary shepherd boy feel like a king? Second question is, what could make an ordinary girl see herself as lovely? And thirdly, what could make us what would allow us to see ourselves as lovely? Firstly, what could make an ordinary shepherd boy feel like a king? Now, this song, it has three characters in it, a boy, a girl, and their friends. And the girl has the most to say in this book. She is great with words. She is a great singer, and she starts out talking to this boy. So if you've got your Bible, open up Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 2. This is how it begins. She says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Now, this is their wedding day. And for this girl, the earth is shaking. Her heart is trembling. Her words are breathless. And she wants to be kissed. And she tells the whole world, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. 
This girl, she aches for intimacy, and there's nothing improper about that. She doesn't hide it from us. She doesn't hide it from her lover. She wants to be kissed. And she tells us why, verse 2, for his love is more delightful than wine. Now, the translators of the Bible, this was originally written in Hebrew, but our translators don't have the courage to tell you what she's actually said there. She's not talking about his generic love, which is better than wine. Literally, the word is lovemaking. She's saying to him, your lovemaking intoxicates me. It's more delightful than a glass of wine. She's saying, I want to be kissed. I want to be touched. I want to be held. I want to give myself to my lover. And so immediately, just think about this. If you were to come to the Bible with expectations for how the Bible would describe the female sexual response, would it be like this? I mean, in the Bible, in this song, it's, notice it's the woman, not the man, who's asking and initiating. She's not ambivalent. She desires it. She craves it. She wants it. She talks about it. She's not passive. She's not weak. She's not shy. She's not silent. She's colorful. She's unrestrained. She's passionate. And she tells him exactly what she wants. She voices her delight at the prospect of lovemaking on their wedding night. And so having praised his kissing and then lovemaking, she then turns to his scent. Verse 3 Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. So her senses are all awake. And at this point, we could apply this to the guys in the room. Make sure you take a shower. Make sure you iron your shirts. Make sure you wear any perspirant and, uh, and, uh, and put on some cologne, but not too much because no girl likes a guy stinking too much of cologne. But a little bit. Smells good. That's what she likes. But pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Then look at what she says. Your name is like perfume poured out. Do you hear that? Your name is like perfume poured out. She's not simply saying, oh, it's not like my wife said, oh, Toby, it's such a beautiful name. Oh, I love that. No, no, no. His name represents his character. And she's like, hey, my lover, he's a great kisser, a great lovemaker. But more than that, it's his character. It's his integrity. It's, it's his reliability. He's not just sweet-smelling and good-looking. He doesn't just happen to be a great kisser, but, uh, but, but he respects me. He admires me, and he's admired by others. And so, men, get some nice beard oil, but work fundamentally on your character. And so here's the thing. I've seen many girls overlook a guy because they... They don't fit their physical ideal, only later to be swept off their feet when they realize that this is a man of integrity and character. And I've seen plenty of girls fall in love with guys who smell great, but only later to be heartbroken by their lack of character. And I've seen guys do the same thing, that they're uninterested in girls because they don't meet their unrealistic standards of beauty but only later do they realize, oh no, here's a woman of noble character and they sweep her off her feet. So pay attention to character. So here's a girl and her boy. It's the character that matters. And notice his character is known by everyone, which is why verse 3, she says, no wonder the young women love you. Uh, something my wife often says to me, not really. <laughs> 
But she's saying it's your character which is known. It's not just like he's the heart. He's not just Chris Hemsworth. No, his character is known. That's why all the women are like, yeah, that guy. He's... And, so far, and then finally, she finishes her verse pleading, verse 4, take me away with you. Hurry. Now, that's explicit. Three times in the Song of Songs, she will turn to the single ladies of Israel saying, don't arouse or awaken love until it so desires. But she's waited for this moment. This is her wedding night. They're married. They start kissing. And she is justifiably impatient for him to take her. Now is the time to awaken love. Now is the time to, uh, to, to, del- to delight. And there's no shame in that at all. And at the end of that, notice what she calls him. Verse 4, let the king bring me into his chambers. Now who is she speaking to there? Let the king bring me into his chambers. Many Uh, many commentators will tell you that she's speaking to Solomon, King Solomon at that time. And I struggle with that because, you know, King Solomon had 300 wives, uh, 700 wives, 300 concubines. How could this possibly be Solomon? Because the Song of Songs, it's a song of exclusive love, male and female, jealous for their love, no other competitors in this relationship. And Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. How does that at all work? Is she like bride number 374? And she's singing of his love for tonight, which is going to disappear tomorrow uh, until next year or the year after 700. That's two, you'd see him one night every two years, right? Is that what? See, I can't. So we're going to debate who is the author of this book, and I'm not going to give you my answer to who the author is until week four, but it's hard to see that it's Solomon. So who is she calling king? Who is she saying, let the king bring me into his chambers? And I take it the person she's calling king is this humble shepherd boy that she's fallen in love with, that to her, he is her king, that his heart, that, that uh, his love rules her heart. She so admires him respects him. She feels like this first night, it's majestic. She feels like a queen. And she, so she calls him her king. Now, if you were that humble shepherd boy, how would you be feeling with a lady talking to you like this? Let him kiss me. Let's hurry to the chambers. My king. How would you be feeling? You would feel like a king, wouldn't you? doesn't matter what else is going on in your life that, wow, you would feel like... So what can make an ordinary shepherd boy feel like a king? It's the words of the woman he loves. One word of encouragement from my wife, and I could fight a thousand enemies. No doubt about it. One word, it, would, it fills me up, it gives me the courage I need. And that's what's going on. She calls him a king. How would he be feeling? He would feel like a king. And so let me pause here and speak to wives. Um, Do you speak well of your husbands? Do you encourage him? Do you tell him that his kisses are better than wine? Do you initiate lovemaking? Do you declare your praise for him publicly so that other people hear you, know that you respect him? Have you forgotten that first flame of desire when his name to you was like perfume poured out? 
Do you remember how your body felt the first time you held hands and the spark of electricity passed between you? I do. I, um, this, is, this is me and my wife a long time ago. <laughs> uh, we've been married 20 years in October, and uh, we started dating when I was, I think, 18, and, uh, and we were kind of just friends for a long time. I... I, uh, it was clear Liz wanted to date me, but, uh, <laughs> but I was literally, I was like, girlfriends are too expensive, I don't want a girlfriend. I was that kind of idiot. Anyway, but we, there was this one Sunday afternoon, and it was a Balmain Tigers game, and we were over at Leichhardt Oval, and we're there with all of our friends sitting on the hill watching this footy game, and it started absolutely pouring with rain, and <laughs> And I'd brought a poncho for myself, kept myself dry, but I also brought a poncho for her. So I don't know what I was thinking. So she has this poncho on, I have this poncho on, we're all sitting with our friends, and I'm like, Toby, it's time. So I snuck my hand under the poncho and started holding her hand, right? And the spark of electricity happened. It was wonderful. (laughs) Um, And speaking to wives here, have you lost that? Because it need not and it ought not die out after the honeymoon. If it has, bring it to God now and ask him to turn your heart towards your husband and go home encouraging him with words of affirmation. Many years ago, my wife, I was enrolled to study at Bible college and I have social anxiety. So put me in a crowd of people that I don't know I have a lot of anxiety, and she knew that, and so the morning I was to go to Bible college, she gave me a gift. It was a pen and a card, and on the card, it read, to the future reverend, uh, dear Tobias, and then she goes, dear Tobias, Uh, and Tobias is my real name. Only my wife calls me that, and my mum calls me it when I'm in trouble, but uh, when my wife's trying to be romantic, she calls me Tobias. She writes, dear Tobias, have a great year at college. Hope tomorrow isn't too scary meeting lots of new people. Can't wait to hear you speak Greek, which is a joke because I'm terrible with accents, so she's mocking me at this point. Every time I try and speak in a different, like I'll be trying to do the Irish accent, I just sound like someone from India, right? All my accents become Indian. Anyway, so she's mocking me at this point, but I know she understands me. Uh, She goes, anyway, enjoy this token gift. Hope it helps. Now you shouldn't need to ask me for a pen. Have fun. Have a great time getting to know God better. Love from your beautiful wife. And indeed, she is. And that's, wives, encourage your husbands. What can turn an ordinary shepherd boy into, and make him feel like a king? It's the words of the woman he loves. Secondly, what could make an ordinary girl see herself as lovely? Now, come down to verse 5 and uh, look at the way the girl views herself. She says, Dark am I, daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Don't stare at me because I am dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. Now, uh, and she goes on, My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard. I had to neglect. For the first time in the song, the girl's voice, she starts to voice her insecurities, her fears, her self-doubts, and she considers herself unattractive for three reasons. The first reason is 
She looks at the color of her skin. She says, dark am I. Her brothers had forced her to work outdoors with all the slaves and the servants, and so as a result, her skin had bronzed. Now, in our culture, to be bronze is to be highly attractive, but fashions come and go, and what's hot in one culture is not so hot in another, and in her culture, to have bronze skin was deeply unfashionable. And this wasn't a racial thing, it was a social thing. It comes not from her birth and ethnicity, but from having been forced to work outside with all the servants and slaves. Darker skin meant she was working class because she worked outside. All the wealthy ladies of Jerusalem, they, were, they stayed inside during the day, but all the poor ladies worked outside. So this is, her skin color is unfashionable in her day and she worries about it. She, that's one of her insecurities. But not, she has more insecurities. Not only does she feel her skin's too dark, but she worries that she hasn't kept her vineyard. Verse 5, my own vineyard I had to neglect. So here she is. She's on her feet all day. She's pruning vines. She's plucking grapes. She's chasing uh, foxes. And at the end of a hard day, she gets home exhausted and she doesn't have time for a manicure, a pedicure, a wax or whatever the ancient equivalent of all of that was. And so she says, my own vineyard I had to neglect. I didn't have time to pay attention to my beauty treatments. That's what she thinks of her body, that she doesn't meet some kind of standard. But then thirdly, she also feels something else because in verse 5, she says to the ladies of Jerusalem, don't stare at me because I'm dark. They judge her. She feels the scrutiny of all the other ladies in her life. And many of you can relate to that. This is what she thinks of her body. She looks around. She's comparing herself to others. And finally, in chapter 2, verse 1, she calls herself a rose of Sharon and a lily of the valleys. Now, we think a rose, oh, that's beautiful. No, 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 this isn't a positive thing she's saying about herself. This is a negative thing. A rose of Sharon is just an ordinary wildflower in Palestine. It's just ordinary. That's what she's, I'm ordinary. And then she calls herself a lily of the valleys. I'm just one of a thousand lilies in the valleys. Now, I don't think I have to raise how this kind of negative self-assessment still affects women in our city and among us today. And not just women, men increasingly feel insecure about their bodies. And, and here's the question, what can overcome the insecurities of an ordinary girl and make her feel lovely? And the answer to that question is words, the words of her lover thoughtful, creative, encouraging words. So look at how the boy responds. She says, I'm just a rose of Sharon, a lily among thousands. And look at, he, look at how he responds. He says, like a lily among thorns, chapter 2, verse 2, is my darling among the young women. He says, lilies? You want to talk about lilies? Lilies are pretty damn spectacular. I like lilies. And then he says, hey, you're not just a lily among a thousand lilies. You are a lily among thorns. Or in Australia, it would be a lily among lantana, all right? All the other women, they're just like thorns and lantana in, in, 
in, in, comp- in, in contrast to you. You're a lily among uh, thorns, my darling. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, you and you alone have my eyes. But he also likens her, verse 9, chapter 1, he says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Now, a lot of people laugh at this because, guys, it's probably never appropriate to call your wife a horse, right? (laughs) But a mare among Pharaoh's chariot, there is nothing more beautiful than a horse, nothing more strong, nothing more vibrant and fit. This boy doesn't stick to formulaic flower, uh, flower compliments. He gets creative and he starts looking around. He goes, she thinks she's too dark. And he goes, he starts looking around and going, what is something dark that is absolutely splendid in its darkness? You remember the, the, the book, the movie in the 80s, Black Beauty? Uh, this beautiful black horse. That's what he's calling her. You are a, a mare among Pharaoh. You are stunning. And here's the question. What are all the male chariot horses doing as a mare comes among them? They're pawing the ground and neighing with desire. And that's what he's saying to her. He's saying, you make my heart grow, go wild. You're like a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. That's how you make me feel. And so twice he says, lily among lantana, a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. And then thirdly, he looks at her eyes and he says, chapter 1, verse 15, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. Now, there is nothing more intimate and personal. There is no more intimate and personal part of the female body than their eyes. For a guy to look into the eyes of someone who loves him, who's attracted to him, who respects, that is the most intimate, powerfully intimate experience. And that's what he's saying to her. He looks into her eyes. He says, they're like doves. They're pure. They're welcoming. They're inviting. Now, he doesn't speak about her other body parts here, but he will do so next week, and we will all blush because it gets quite intense. But at this point, for starters, her eyes hold him captive. Here is a young girl who feels acutely aware of every flaw in her body, and he takes every one of her flaws and redirects what she's saying about her flaws, and she sends it, he sends it back at her as a compliment. I am dark. My vineyard I have neglected. I'm just an ordinary lily. And he says, no, 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 you're a lily among lantanas. You are a black beauty. You're a majestic mare. Your eyes eyes are like doves. Um, No wonder she wants to be with him. No wonder his kisses are better than wine. No wonder she feels safe. And she feels safe and treasured by him. And that's why she's able to say this, dark am I, yet lovely. Ladies, how's that for confidence? Dark am I, okay, I may not meet what is fashionable in our culture right now. I may have all kinds of insecurities about the way I look, and yet I'm lovely because I'm loved. How's that for self-confidence and self-worth? 
She doesn't care about what other people think. She doesn't even care about what she looks like anymore because she knows this man delights in her. And that's enough for her. So let me apply this to the husbands in the room. Husbands, does your wife feel lovely? They ought because of the words you speak to her. So encourage them with creative compliments. Compliment not just their beauty, but their strength, their intelligence. Tell her what she means to you. Speak about not just the mortgage, the rent, what we're going to keep cook for dinner. No, notice this guy's words, they're highly intentional. He pinpoints exactly where she feels insecure and he uses words to lift her up in that moment. A number of years ago, I heard a sermon on Song of Songs and the preacher said to husbands, husbands, before you touch her body, touch her heart and her mind. In other words, before your hands are on her, make sure she knows you love her. And how do you do that? You do that with words. You wake up in the morning and you don't stop telling her what she means to you. And that would fill her with confidence. Now at this point, some of you are like, but Toby, like, I can't write poetry like this. And nor can I. And actually the guy in this song, in chapter, he's not very good at poetry at this point. He's pretty, she's the poet. But he just tries to put into language what she makes him feel. And, uh, and so sit down with a blank piece of paper and just write out something about her and what you feel about her and give that to her. And uh, you, you don't have to, you don't, it doesn't have to be amazing. It just needs to be from you and from your heart. And, and if you're uh, a shepherd, use agricultural language. That's what this guy is. That's why he likens her to a mare. If you're a, if you're a concreter, we have a concreter at, at 9.50. If you're a concreter, you could say your body is as smooth as fresh laid concrete, right? <laughs> That's what I was encouraging Todd, Todd Hutchings this morning because he's a concreter. It, and she loves him because he's a concreter. So for her, that would be the most romantic thing he could ever say. I mean, to you, maybe not, but to her. And so it doesn't have to be crazy poetic. It just has, she just has to know that you care about her. Now, I want to talk about um, someone who I think is profoundly romantic, but not very poetic, and that is Dale Kerrigan. Um, this is from The Castle, an Australian, one of the, the best movies ever made. If you haven't watched it, you have to watch it. And he's just an ordinary husband and father. And watch how he speaks to his wife in this. This is a masterclass. Here we go. Dad reckons mum is the greatest cook on earth. What do you call that, girl? Sponge cake. Beautiful. And what's that stuff on top? Icing sugar. How is it, kids? Now, why would you want to go out to a restaurant when this keeps coming up night after night? This is beautiful, darling. What do you call these things again? Rissoles. Everybody cooks rissoles, darling. Yeah, yeah, but it's what you do with them. Dad also had a way of making everyone feel important. <laughs> Go on, Dale. Tell him. Go on, tell him. Dale dug a hole. Like the time I dug a hole. Start of the patio. Good on you, Dale. And he'd compliment Mum every single night on her cooking. Oh, hello, hello. How's this, boys? Woohoo! What do you call this? Chicken. It's got something sprinkled on it. Seasoning. 
seasoning. Looks like everybody's kicked a goal. <laughs> I mean, what, 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 he just doesn't stop praising his wife. Doesn't matter what's for dinner. She, and you, you look at her, she beams the whole time. Why is that? Because she knows her husband respects her and loves her and delights in everything about her. And I mean, it's Father's Day. That's another reason why. I've, how does he treat his kids? He's just so proud of his kids that he's like, Dale dug a hole <laughs> of all things. <laughs> There's not much to get excited about a hole. But he, he just beams with affection for those in his lives. I mean, so there's a bit of an application. Fathers, how are you going at beaming about what? You know, I noticed most, when I was growing up, you'd see these parents who would boast about their kids to other parents, but they'd never say that to the kids themselves needs to be the reverse, right? How we, anyway, so there's some applications. So the question is, what can make an ordinary girl see herself as lovely? It's the words of her boy. She's able to say, dark am I yet lovely because of his love. Thirdly and finally, what could convince us that we are loved? What could convince you that you are loved? And the answer to that, of course, is, Words, especially God's words to us in the gospel. Now, the Song of Songs, it used to be the Song of Songs. It used to be the greatest song in the world, but it no longer is because three billion people today across the world are singing another song, and that is a song of God's great love for us. That's the real great song that we get excited about today. Uh, sure, human, sure, the love of a man or a woman is good, but there is a love which is better than wine, better than the love of a man or a woman, better than lovemaking, and that is God's love itself. And here's the thing, some of you have struggled today as I've spoken about this girl and this boy, and you are asking the question, why am I even here today? Um, because I've mostly been speaking to people who are married, and 11 a.m. Vine Church, the majority of us are single. And the, why am I speaking? Well, I'm speaking about it because it's in the Bible, so that's one reason I'm speaking about it. But if you've struggled today, I've said things like, you know, the reason the king, the reason the boy feels like a king, and the reason the girl feels lovely is because they have someone who tells them they're lovely. And what if I don't have anyone telling me I'm lovely? What if I don't have a girl telling me I'm her king? And what if I don't have a guy telling me that uh, my eyes are doves? Here's what you need to do. You need to listen to God's word declared over you and drink from the fountain of his great love. Now, as I say that, I know some of you, you bristle at that. And you're like, of course a married man would be telling me a single person to drink from the love of God. That's easy for you to say, Toby, you've just talked up marriage for 30 minutes and you know what, doesn't really help because you're saying God's love, it's a kind of consolation. You know, you don't have a relationship which we've been praising and celebrating, but you know, at least you've got God's love. And I realise this can be very hard for us to hear. Um, and when I say, well, at least you've got God's love, it feels like you've won the consolation prize. You know, it's like you're on a game show and there's the house, the boat, the, the car, 
which you're trying to win on this game show. And at the end of the game show, at the end of the night, you know, you're trying to win the house, the car, the boat. And at the end of the night, it's like, bum, bum. You don't win the house, the car, or the boat. What you actually win are the steak knives. Who cares about the freaking steak knives when you've missed out on the boat, the car, the house? And for some of you, it's like, yeah, Toby, it's easy for you to say, like, oh, hey, you've got God's love. Toby, you've got the house, the car, the boat, and you're telling me to be happy with the steak knives? My guess is some of you feel that way. And if that's what you're thinking, I, my heart bleeds for you. It really does. But can I suggest you're missing something? Because today, as we've been going through the Song of Songs, all we've been talking about are the steak knives. That's all male-female affection is. The car, the house, the boat, the real prize, the Song of Songs, is God's love for his people. Sex and marriage, they are just the steak knives. And it's not just those of you who aren't married who need to hear that. It's those who are married. And the reason for that is no matter how good your marriage, no, how, no matter how wonderful your partner, they will never live up to this idealistic picture presented in this book. The person you're married to will repeatedly fail to do what this book is telling them to do. And they will fail to live up to your expectations for them. They'll be silent when you're desperate for a word of encouragement from them. And my guess is I've made a lot of married people feel guilty as we're going through a lot of this earlier because that's not how our relationships play out. And if you are married and you're waiting for your husband or your wife to be what this book is telling them to be, you will never feel loved. You will never feel like a king because you'll be desperately waiting for them to do it and it'll never come. But you have a love which never fails. So singles and marrieds need to fill up on the fountain of God's love. See, what ends up happening in marriage is a stalemate occurs. I'm not feeling loved and so I don't love. And then what happens is they don't feel loved and so they don't love. And there's this, you know, invisible stalemate going on and none of us will take the first move because we're waiting for the other person to do so. And the only way to break the stalemate of love for every married person is to drink of the wine of God's love so that you do feel lovely, you do feel like a king, and so that you're able to love someone who may not be loving you at all in return. It's not just those of you who aren't married who need to hear this. All of us need to drink from the fountain of God's love. Everyone who's married needs to feel so loved by God that you can go out into your marriage and keep loving and loving and loving even when there's no love coming back to you in return. And if you're not married, you need to feel so loved by God that you can go out into life and keep loving others even when you feel alone and unlovely. If I'm loved by God, I can face anything. I can face a thousand armies. If I'm loved by God, neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor anything else in all creation can threaten me. You need, what could convince you that you're loved? You don't have to wait to get married to feel loved. It's just the steak knives. It's good. Steak knives are great. But there is a greater thing in the world which Christians are singing about nonstop. 
and that is the love of God. And what this book does, it's written about the best of human relationships, but ultimately none of our relationships live up to it. So ultimately it points us to what Christ is to us. So that we're able to say, sinful am I yet lovely, flawed, alone, and yet God loves me. That's what this book is meant to do. Are you able to say that about yourself? Some of you are drowning under the weight of what other people think about you, what you think about you. And I'm asking you to open your eyes to a love which is better than wine, that won't disappoint you, that won't change, that isn't fickle, that can't be lost in the ups and downs of life. It's a majestic love. And that's why we don't stop singing about it. Let's, let's end in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word in the Bible. Father, this is what we need, even though some of us might struggle to see how it's good for us. Father, please open the eyes of every heart in this room that we might drink deeply of your love for us, poured out in the life of the Lord Jesus and poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Help us to drink deeply of that so that we wouldn't be so threatened in our singleness and we wouldn't be so selfish in our marriages. Help us to take the first move when we find ourselves in stalemates. We pray this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.